As I said earlier, my name is Casey Cease, and I have the joy of serving as a lead pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Christ Community Church. Uh, it's a joy to celebrate this Easter morning with you. I'm really excited uh, to share from God's Word this morning for you. Um, as I was praying about what to talk about this year on Easter, obviously we're, we're teed up pretty well on the topic, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but what exactly does the resurrection bring to us today in 2017? I, I don't know if I'm the only one here. I know actually my wife's here. Um, I'm a people watcher. Any, anybody else here a people watcher? You like to watch people. Um, some people do it kind of creepily, so I'm not saying be a stalker, um, but, but watching people. I love watching people at the airport because you get people from all over the world coming in and, 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 and you know, living their lives and going about their business. But one thing I've noticed as I watch people is when they're not paying attention that you are paying attention, you can really start getting an idea of how it is that they're feeling and what it is that they're doing. Now, I'm not saying I'm a mind reader, but you can see when people are carrying stress or they're carrying fear or they're hurting. And, and when they're not aware that people are watching, sometimes they, they let that loose and let people see that. And as I was praying about, Lord, what about the resurrection? Is it that you want me to share this year? It's called, um, and as I was praying about it, I really felt called to talk to you about how Jesus the risen Savior can restore our hope. If you turn on the news, you see terrorism. You hear rumors of war. You see people who are sick or dying or have died. If you pay attention to just those in your immediate sphere of influence, you realize that many people are lacking hope. There's a lot of brokenness, broken families, broken marriages, addictions. And so this morning, as we talk about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that power doesn't just bring hope for the future, it brings hope for right now. And that's good news. Now Jesus, having died over 2,000 years ago now, or roughly 2,000 years ago, the death of Jesus in his time wouldn't have been what was controversial, actually. The death of Jesus would have actually been assumed because he claimed to be God. And those who did not believe that he was indeed God turned him over to the Roman Empire to have him crucified. Crucifixion was a common, torturous uh, pun capital punishment given to people who were found guilty by the Roman Empire. And it was done so so that they could give an illustration to those around the Roman Empire to not mess with the Roman Empire. So the issue of crucifixion, the story of Jesus' death, isn't what would be controversial in that day and age, or even today. What would be controversial, though, is the fact that they could not find a body in his grave. And that his disciples, before they saw the resurrected Jesus, went back about doing their day-to-day -day tasks and living their life the way they wanted to live. And so the pivotal claim in Christianity isn't merely just trusting in Jesus as our substitute on the cross for the payment of sin. That's part of it. But what the belief of Christianity is, is not only do we believe in the death of Jesus, but we also believe in the power of God shown in the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's in the resurrection of Jesus that we can have the hope for forgiveness, eternal life, and the fact that sin, death, and Satan have been paid for and defeated. So not only has payment been made, but victory has been won. Any of you like reading the news or watching the news? Any of you? Show of hands. You read the news, you're, you're aware of the news, you know someone who does? Then you need your hope restored. Amen. 
because it's bad news. Most of it is bad news. But the main point I want you to take away from this morning, if nothing else, this Easter morning, is that the resurrected Jesus pursues us and restores our hope. So this isn't going to be a message where you've got to get your act together and then go find Jesus. My prayer today is that Jesus comes and finds you. My prayer is that you see that the the powerful Jesus who rose from the dead is a Jesus that went back after those who then had wandered away. Even though Jesus is alive and well, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he is still a personal Savior. The resurrected Jesus pursues us and he restores restores our hope. And and the illustration I want to give from Scripture is that of the life of Peter. If you have not grown up in or around the church, you may not know Peter, but Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. Peter could have been a Texan, is my argument. The guy loved fishing. He told it like it was, whether it was true or not. He spoke up. He took risks. That sounds like a Texan to me, amen? Right, yeehaw. Not sure if he packed heat or not, guys. But, uh, but I mean, he, he liked to work with his hands, and he, he was a fisherman. He wasn't one that you would have thought would have been chosen to be a part of um, God's movement. But God, Jesus, went and called Peter to follow him. And we see Peter, um, at times he was outspoken. There's times where he took risks, where he stepped out of the boat one time to follow Jesus by walking on the water. And he did so until he took his eyes off Jesus. Then he got a brief talking to about lacking in faith by Jesus. But in his defense, he was the only one that ever took a step out of the boat. I like Peter. I resemble Peter at times. But we see Peter in this crucial moment where he had told Jesus even when Jesus had said that he would would be betrayed by all of his disciples, that they would scatter. We see Peter stepping up saying, hey, look, all these other guys might do that, but not me. We see Peter also being prideful when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, showing them what it looks like to serve and how to serve. And he said, Lord, you may not wash my feet. Then Jesus explains to him what it means to wash his feet. And he's like, well, then I need my entire body washed. He was all or nothing, our Peter. When Jesus was arrested, Peter's the one that drew his sword and chopped off a man's ear. Jesus said, you shall not live by the sword. Those who live by the sword will die by it. He fixed the guy's ear. And even though Peter had told Jesus that he would be faithful to him, even if no one else was, Jesus told him, in fact, you will deny you know me three times. And so pick up with me. If you have a Bible, open with me to John chapter 18. If you don't, we have some and the chairs around. If you don't have a Bible at home that you enjoy to read, take one of ours as a gift. I know several folks here would be glad to pay to replace those Bibles so you can have one you enjoy reading. We'll also have some of the scripture on the screen for you as well. But pick up with me in John chapter 18. I want to show you where um, Peter gets to this place. Courageous, bold, prideful Peter. Jesus at this time had been arrested and accused. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers 
had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so we see this first interaction, um, and we can maybe give Peter the benefit of the doubt on this one, that he was walking in, the girl said something, he just, he wasn't really thinking, or you know, I don't know about you, but there's occasion, occasionally times where you speak out of kind of reflex, and it may not be the whole truth, or might be actually called a lie. So if it's happened one time, you might say, well, he had a slip up, he wasn't thinking, he was a little scared or nervous or anxious, and let's give this guy a pass. However, we pick up in verse 25, and we see that what Jesus told Peter what happened does. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. In another account in the Gospels, it, it said that Peter denied him, the rooster crowed, and then Peter, realizing what he had done, had wept bitterly, that he had deeply felt grieved because of this denial of Jesus. So the first thing we can learn from the example of Jesus pursuing us through the life of Peter is that everyone, you and I, all of us, all, all of us have denied Jesus at some point. All of us have. Whether with our words or with our lives or with our sin, we have all denied Jesus at some point. I can think back in my life, I didn't really grow up in the church. I'm actually part Jewish. Shalom. Six of you get that, you're welcome. And so the first time I went to church was when I was in the first grade, and I grew up, um, I grew up with anxiety and depression and learning disabilities, ADHD and dyslexia, and so I didn't like school in the first place, and when my parents told me we were going to go to school on Sundays, I was hacked. I was not happy at all. And I remember my, my parents were invited by some friends to go to Houston's First Baptist Church, and we went to our Sunday school class, and they did something very cruel to a dyslexic six-year-old. They gave me this huge book written by a guy named James. King James. If you're not familiar with King James, King James is the earlier translation of the Bible um, from the 1600s, written in Old English. And so everything ends in TH. Liveth, dieth, runneth, jumpeth. And for a dyslexic six-year-old, that's just cruel. My parents, though, my dad was raised Jewish and heard a man speak that day who was a Messianic Jew, believing that Jesus was a Messiah. And my dad left that day telling my mom, I think that's what's been missing my entire life. And so we began going to church. Eventually, my dad was baptized. My mom was baptized. My sister was baptized. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. Got into middle school, and I really started living out my own desires, and where I would find my hope, where I looked for God-like love is in the approval of my friends, approval of girls, approval of having stuff, and people thinking I was rich, and being popular. Those are the things I lived for, and I gave myself to, and each of those things throughout my life betrayed me. I got into high school, and in high school, I, uh, uh, I, I didn't know the Lord, I didn't go to church, and I didn't pretend like I did know God. You would have asked me, hey, did you, do you know God? I would have said, well, I, I've, you know, I've been to church before, but I, I didn't know Jesus. After my junior year of high school, um, my parents said I could have a few friends over for a party, and a few friends invite a few friends, and we were drinking alcohol, playing volleyball, eating barbecue. I was at a place in my life where I was hanging around with a lot of people, but I always felt very alone and isolated. I had been in a long-term relationship with a girl, and she and I had just broken up. 
And everything that I was putting my hope and value in was letting me down. As the night went on, things just progressively got worse. My depression was overtaking me, and I finally popped, and I said, that's it, I'm leaving, and I grabbed my keys, I got in my car, and I began to leave. As I was leaving, I remember in the exit of my neighborhood, I remember breaking down and crying out to a God I did not have a relationship with. I was so broken, I felt so depressed, and I I just didn't care if I lived or died. I remember crying out to God, I didn't know, saying, why? And I wish I could say that the story improved, but it just got worse. Instead of driving out the other way, going out the back exit of my neighborhood, I went back towards the entrance to my neighborhood. I was going very fast. I went around this curve, and all of a sudden, as I went around this curve, I see my friend in the street with his arms up like this, trying to stop me. I jerk the wheel, try to miss him. He jumps the same direction. His body comes up the hood of my car, crashes through my windshield. His body comes through so hard that it bends my steering wheel, and my airbags blow out. I'm knocked out. I lose control of my car. I'm left unconscious, and my friend is killed. At the age of 17, I killed my friend. His name was John. At that point, I was completely broken. And I wanted to kill myself. I was released from the medical hospital, put into a mental facility on suicide watch, and one of the ways that the Lord began to restore my hope is by sending my friend's parents who were Christians to meet with me. And it was crazy to think about it at the time because I had no concept of really what it meant to be forgiven by God. But my friend's parents came to see me and they said, Casey, we want you to know that we are Christians and that we forgive you. We don't want you to hurt yourself and we know that your friend John wouldn't want you to hurt yourself either. And I wish I could say right then I trusted Jesus, but no, it began to continue moving me along this journey of reading Scripture and doubting and struggling until several months later, Jesus in His kindness showed Himself to me. The risen Jesus showed Himself true. The risen Jesus accepted me when I was completely unacceptable because of my sin. Jesus forgave me. Jesus accepted me. Jesus restored my hope. All of us have denied Jesus at some point. You may not have a story that looks like mine, but each of us have not lived up to God's perfect standard. Each of us have fallen short, and God has still made a way through His Son Jesus for you and I to be made right with Him. And so Peter goes denying Jesus. Jesus is then crushed and killed on the cross. He is dead and then buried. And then by God's power, He raises from the dead. And in that resurrection, he defeats sin, he defeats Satan, and he defeats death. And so we pick up with Peter, if you go with me to John chapter 21, we pick up with Peter as the resurrected Jesus is going after Peter. Now mind you, if you read back in John 20, go back and read some time, take a free Bible with you and read the story. But we see that Peter is actually one of the ones that goes to the tomb to see that it's empty, that he's not there, that his death clothes are still laid behind. And he sees that it's empty, and so Peter does what anyone else would do, right, that realizes that that Jesus is risen from the dead. He goes back to his old job as a fisherman. So maybe, and I don't want to add to Scripture that what's not there, but perhaps Peter assumed that 
Well, his body was taken, but he wasn't raised. Or if he was raised, then he would want nothing to do with me. Whatever his assumptions were, we see that Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to change his mind and change his heart and clean up his life and come looking for him. We see that the resurrected Jesus pursues Peter to restore his hope. And someone asked me in the first service, their young son was with him. He's like, is that man mad? And they're like, no, honey, that's just his face. So I feel like I'm smiling right now and I'm probably scowling. I just, I have an overbearing eyebrow bone. Just so you know. He's like, oh. But he goes, the resurrected Peter, or Jesus goes to Peter. And he says, hey, you guys fishing out there, why don't, you're not catching any fish. It's similar to when he, Peter first met Jesus. He says, why don't you cast on the other side? And they immediately catch this huge uh, catch a fish, and Peter all of a sudden remembers who he is, takes off his clothes, jumps in the water, swims towards Jesus, and worships at his feet. And Jesus uh, makes him a meal, and he sits with him in community. And then he says this to him, verse 15, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's talking about the other people. He said to him, he said to him yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now we can stop there and say this one time when Jesus goes to Peter to remind Peter of his affection for Jesus and to let Peter kind of make it right. He says, he asks them this question, do you love me more than these people around me? And he affirms that. Yet Peter didn't reject Jesus merely once, he rejected him three times. And so we see Jesus again asking him the question. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. There's two times. One might think that Jesus is emphasizing something. And he is. He goes on. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Having betrayed and denied Jesus on three occasions in a short amount of time, Peter dejected, abandoned, left, and Jesus went to him. And in Jesus' restoration of Peter, he asks him three times emphasizing this. But I want to notice something from the Scripture here. Jesus wasn't coming to him going back through all the ways that he had messed up. Notice there is no sign of a guilt trip taking place in the Scripture. Peter, do you love me? Because it's hard for me to believe that you love me because of the way you denied me like I said you would do. And then after you saw the grave was empty, you came back to work. That's not in there. The resurrected, risen Jesus doesn't come back and meet us with a guilt trip or a long list of ways we've failed. He comes and He restores us by His love and causes us to love Him from that love that He has for us and then we then reciprocate to Him. He then chooses to send us and use us. And so when we see the, the perfect restoration of the resurrected Jesus, His purpose in pursuing us isn't merely just so that we can feel better about us. Peter was grieved the third time, it says. Continue on in verse 17. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
And then Peter, uh, then Jesus goes on to give a prophetic word about what's going to happen to Peter. And look how encouraging it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Wait a minute. Uh, I thought we're supposed to talk about happy, fluffy things on how to have a good life on Easter to get you to want to come back next week. See, the Jesus of the Bible, his invitations are more substantial. When he tells Peter to follow me, he tells Peter, you're going to follow me, and you're going to follow me to the point of which I went, which is to death. So he was basically telling Peter, come back, be restored to me, follow me, and here's how you're going to die. So the second thing we want to see in Peter's life of being restored is that the resurrected Jesus calls us to find our hope by trusting in him. Not our circumstances, not in our ability to do better or to act better or to be better. He calls us to trust in him alone for our restoration, for our hope. You see, participating in the work of Jesus is a response to the love that he gives to us. We don't participate in the work of Jesus to earn God's love. What we're basically saying is if we believe in religion, and the difference between what we're talking about here and religion is we're talking about a relationship because religion states you do these things for God and then God owes you something in return, his forgiveness. The good news of Jesus, though, is that we cannot do good enough on our own to match the rightness with God. And so God sent his own son, Jesus, to live that life we can never live, to die a death that you and I deserve on a cross, to be dead and buried, and by God's power, rise again, defeating sin, death, and Satan. That's the good news. You cannot. Every other religion on the planet gives you a way to work on you, to make yourself better, to be approved by God. Jesus became flesh and lived that perfect life, died that death, and rose again so that through him we can have forgiveness of our sins and a relationship with the living God. Religion says, go and do. Relationship says, it has been done. It has been done. And so when, when Peter was being called by Jesus, Jesus wasn't calling him to go and do better. Jesus was inviting him, calling him to follow Jesus. Now you would think at this point, Peter would have figured things out and gotten it together. The resurrected Jesus, still showing some of his wounds, brought in a big load of fish, still alive. But it's interesting, the resurrected Jesus was also eating with them, so it wasn't like just falling through him like a ghost. But he was eating fish with them, fellowshipping, and then calling them that. And Peter does what any wise person would do in, the, in front of God in the flesh. He wants to play comparison of what's going to happen to John. He's just told, you're going to die a brutal death. Verse 19, or verse 20. Next verse. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, John, the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So I'm going to die a brutal death. What, what about John? <laughs> and Jesus says, verse 22, 
If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Once I had an older preacher say to me, Casey, witty. I was complaining about other preachers and speakers. And he said, hey, Casey, witty. I said, what are you talking about? I'm not being funny right now. He says, no, witty. What is that to you? What they're doing, what that person's doing, what these people are doing, Jesus is in fall, uh, calling you to mimic other people. Jesus is calling you to follow Jesus. But if you've ever struggled with doubt, even if you were a follower of Jesus, you're not alone. Peter was still missing the point, needing to be sharpened and to grow in his faith. Maybe you're here today and you believe that before I can place my hope in Jesus, I've got to get some things together. That's completely backwards. We're all a mess. And our only hope for being made whole and forgiven and accepted by God is the accomplished work of Jesus. And it's in that work of Jesus that we can have true hope and true meaning and true purpose. So the third thing I want to take away is that Jesus invites us to find our purpose and mission by following him. Following Jesus. There are times in Scripture where we see a guy named Paul say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we need one another. And that's the challenge where I meet a lot of people today saying, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of his church. You have to understand that while we're talking about this personal relationship with Jesus, this personal relationship is also corporate, meaning that we're then brought into a bigger body of believers. And we need one another. And what we would see is from this moment of restoration to the point a little bit later on, as the story continues in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we see the same Peter who had denied Jesus, who was restored by Jesus, who then still had questions about what it was going to look like for other guys, be restored by Jesus, and then in Acts chapter 2, be used by Jesus to see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. You and I are gathered here today partly because of the way God used Peter 2,000 years ago. And so we see this broken man who had failed miserably, who had then been restored by Jesus, called by Jesus, and used by Jesus. But you have to understand this, that following Jesus, as I said earlier, isn't about just doing better things or being a good person. Following Jesus begins with agreeing with Jesus. And in His Word it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us are not perfect on our own. That none of us match the perfect standard of God. But the Word of God also, thank God, says, But God made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf as our substitute so that through Him we might become made right with God. It's only through the person of Jesus and trusting fully in Him that we can be reconnected with God and made right. That's the good news. It's not God meets us halfway and then we better work hard. It's that we cannot, but God does. And as God does, we then live our lives in appreciation as a thank you. And so the first step in coming to faith in Christ is agreeing with Jesus. Confession is merely an agreement. Jesus, we have sinned against you. I have not been perfect. I have made mistakes. I have broken your laws. And in that realization, we're then able to realize that on our own we can't, but Jesus has. And so we will reach out and hope and trust 
in Jesus. And that's the invitation for those of you today that are not yet followers of Jesus. It's not go make yourself right. It's put your hope in Christ. The resurrected Jesus. He will restore your hope. He will forgive your sins. He will accept you right where you are. And He will make you new. But it's not just enough to pray the prayer and trust in Christ and go about your way. Because when He saves you, as I said earlier, He brings you into relationship with Himself and with His people. And so as you come into faith with, in Christ and you are becoming a part of His body, as the Bible says, a part of His people, you need a community of faith to be a part of. And that's why we gather here at Christ Community Church. We are one expression of faith of many in this area. And if you do not yet have a church home in the area, we would love for you to come and visit with us again. We would love to become that community of faith that helps you grow. If you're looking for a perfect church, please don't stay there if you find it. Because you will ruin it. And so will I. Find a church, if you're not from this area, that preaches Jesus, that encourages you toward His Word, that wants you to not sin, not just because it's bad, but because God is so much better. His grace is so much better. Find a community to connect with. And in that community, within that community, get to know Jesus. Jesus saved me when I was 17, several months after my crash. And part of the way I came to know Jesus, my mom bought me this student Bible and I started reading the New Testament about Jesus, realizing he didn't hang out with perfect people. He actually hung out with those who were broken. And as he hung out with those who were broken, he was in the business of restoring them, restoring their hope and making them new. But as you connect to get to know Jesus, we're not inviting you to just come be a part of something occasionally. We're saying, let's do life together. Let's pursue Christ Let's look at ways that we can restore hope in our community. And let's determine ways that God is calling us to follow Him. We're blessed to have my good friends, Pastor Linus and Liz Karimi from Kenya, here with us today. They're our representatives um, uh, in a ministry that we support called Feed Teach Hope. And I hope you get a moment to say hello to them on the way out. But they are restoring home, hope in the misery slums in Lemuru, Kenya, and throughout Kenya. Pastor Linus is now working with 26 pastors who are starting churches throughout Kenya. And next Sunday, if you want to come back, we're going to be talking about what are some ways that we can really take responsibility to restore the hope in Montgomery County. How can we start taking ownership of the five to seven mile radius around this church to be a part of what God's doing and restoring hope here? And so I hope you'll come back to explore that with us. Because the reality is, is that all of us have been separated from God because of our sin. But God made a way through His Son Jesus for us to be forgiven and accepted. So today the invitation isn't accept Christ. He's always been acceptable. The invitation for you today is to agree with God that you have sinned and to trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And in hoping in Jesus, know that you are forgiven and He desires to use you. That He can restore the hope of your depression. That He can restore hope in your marriage. He can restore hope in your addictions. He can bring healing and power in your life. And He is in the business of doing so. So maybe you're here today and you feel far off, far from God. You're not too far. The resurrection shows that God has the power to raise dead things to life. Maybe your heart is cold and hard towards God, but maybe today's the day that Jesus gives you new life. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the power of the resurrection. 
And I think a lot of times if we even give thought to the Jesus that raised from the dead, we might think he's too busy for us. But we see after he rose from the dead, he went and personally pursued Peter. And he pursued Peter for the purpose of restoring his hopes. And using him for his glory. The beautiful thing about our King Jesus is that the resurrected Jesus, he pursues us and he restores our hope. Let's pray.